Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, you have told us that your ways are not our ways, but they are higher. They are better. And we worship you as the God who delights in showing your strength through weakness. We worship Jesus Christ for his humility and humbling himself to the point of a servant, being willing to die in our place. And God, as an act of worship now, we want to listen and hear from your word. Pray that you'd open the eyes of our heart, that we would love it, that we would embrace it, that we would believe it. And I pray that you'd strengthen our faith. Let us be a light. Let us be an encouragement to those who are around us. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before I read our scripture reading, I actually want to begin my message, but if you'd like to follow along with me, and I would encourage you to do that, turn in your Bible to the book of Psalms. If you're not real familiar with the Bible, it is in the middle of the Bible. It's a real large book. It's pretty easy to find. And I'm going to read from the second half of Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Whether you use a phone or a paper Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along with it. Psalm 89 is one of the surprising psalms that the first time you hear it or the first time you read it, you think, someone wrote that and it's in the Bible? And I believe that it's a psalm that will bless us today as we listen to the Word of God. But before we read it together, I've been thinking a lot about waiting, a lot about longing, And so I want to ask you this morning at the beginning of my message, some of you have already answered this question, but what is the longest you have ever waited for anything? What is the longest you have ever waited for anything? I was thinking about a bunch of different things, and one of them first came to my mind, it came to a lot of other people's minds too, how long did you wait before you were able to get married, if you are married? I, I went to two schools that are jokingly called Bridal Institutes. I went to Word of Life Bridal Institute. That didn't work for me. I went to Moody Bridal Institute. That did not work for me. I came back and I met a girl who just turned 18. And I thought, if I date this girl, it is going to take forever before we're able to get married. And I felt like an old man because I had already graduated from college And it just felt like I didn't have time to wait. And so the four years that we waited before we were married felt like 20. But that's not that significant when I compare it to other people. I think of my my, my professor that taught me Greek in college, Dr. Sauer. His girlfriend, Sweet Sue, dated him before he went off to war and waited for him to come back from Vietnam. One of my friends who replied said that she waited for five years for her second son to be born, hoping that they would be able to have another child. Another one of my friends said that she waited 12 years to have a sibling. In fact, she said she actually gave up praying. She figured mom and dad are not going to come through on this. And through a series, she said, miraculous events. I I don't know much about it, but she said her family was able to adopt a seventh-month-old little baby boy. And their family grew, and God blessed them. And they're praising for it years later. My old Sunday school teacher that I I grew up with at First Baptist Church of Oak Park said he waited seven years 
to be adopted by the family that took him in. He said they were an amazing blessing to him. It was a a beautiful home, and he met Jesus in their home. Somebody else, Angela, you mentioned that you waited 35 years to meet your birth family. And somebody I know from from The Rock from years ago when we used to be members there, uh, Miss Patty mentioned that she waited 52 years for grandchildren. And she says that it's worth it, but I do think her grandchildren are small, so we'll find out later. (laughs) Gail, you mentioned it was 29 years of waiting for something, and you didn't even know what you were waiting for. And I believe you were talking about coming to Jesus. And that was the thing that you didn't even understand what you were waiting for, but it fulfilled the things you were searching for. It fulfilled the things you were looking for. Colleen, Owen Bird's sister, said they waited for 40 years praying that her dad would believe in Jesus and be saved. When he did, he said he did not know why he had waited for so long. He had known about the gospel his whole life. I believe he was in his 70s at that point when he finally came to Christ. And it was a pastor that visited him on a lake while they were ice fishing. That finally he realized he needed to confess Jesus as his Lord, to be baptized and to be saved. And that came for his family after 40 years of praying for him. Few people ask me about waiting for things that still haven't come. And some people have waited to be able to have children and found out that they cannot have children of their own biologically. Some people have waited to be married and not ever been married. Some people, like Sweet Sue, wait for a soldier to come home and they don't come home. This past week, I've got two pastor friends who both were presiding over funerals for deeply loved church members that they were hoping that God and His mercy would heal and restore to health. One of them is a strong man in his 70s that they thought for sure when he got COVID, he'd pull through. He was a runner. He was a strong man physically. And instead, he passed away and died this past week. And my friend Ed Emerling up at Westside is comforting the family as their church grieves the loss of a member that they deeply loved. My friend Daniel over at Faith Church in Linden is comforting the wife of a man who was in his 50s who had a tragic accident, fell out of a tree. He was just watching some deer. And that was about two months ago now. And unfortunately, this past week, he just passed away from his injuries. Think about Amy Padgett, who just lost her adopted dad about ten days ago. It's the hopes that aren't realized that break our hearts. And when we put our hope in God and we wait, and we wonder, there's a sort of deep kind of heartache. And it can almost feel sinful, like somehow you're not right with God because you're living with a sort of disappointment. And at times your faith feels weak and you wonder if God is there and if He'll answer at all. And in this long season of waiting, where people have been laid off and gone back to work to be laid off again, 
and we have no idea what the next year or 10 years holds for us, this is a season of disappointments. And kind of deliberately, we sang songs that were full of longing today because I believe many people are longing for God to come through on his precious and great promises. And some of us are wondering if he will. And so that's why I want to point you to Psalm 89. We're only going to read really the second half of it. We're not 100% sure who Ethan the Ezraite was. Uh, There is a man by that name who was appointed by King David. We don't know if he is the author or if it's one of his great, 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 great grandkids. And that'll become a little bit obvious why that's a question in a minute. But the first part of the psalm, you can see in verse 1, he says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Now that is a nearly impossible verse to share at a funeral. Or after 39 years of praying for your husband or your father to come to the Lord. Because you begin to wonder, God, why didn't you say yes? God, why haven't you said yes? And the psalm goes through and rejoices for what God has done in Israel. Verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And it describes how in love, God appointed King David as a blessing to his people. And how God promised that David's throne would be established forever in Israel. And then you get to the second half of the psalm. And I want to invite you to follow along with me starting in verse 35 of Psalm 89. Once for all, God is speaking and He says, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. Verse 38. But. But. Now the author of this psalm is replying to God and says, Now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord, Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? 
Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old by which your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Verse 52, you might add with tears, says, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Now, I mentioned the psalm is attributed to a man named Ethan the Ezraite. We don't know if Ethan, that was appointed by King David, wrote this. If he did, maybe he wrote it when David was driven out of the city by his rebellious son Absalom. We don't know exactly. That would have been a time when David was not on his throne. But the dates don't fit well with that. So perhaps if it was Ethan, we know he served under Solomon. And if he lived long enough, he would have seen when Solomon died that King Rehoboam nearly destroyed the kingdom. And so perhaps Ethan wrote this psalm in grief as he saw the promises of God that had been kept by God through Solomon's reign seem to crumble as the nation slipped into civil war. But regardless, if you were a faithful Israelite and your hope was in God and you trusted in His promises to bless the nation through David's throne and you watched the Babylonians march against the city of Jerusalem and you watched as they lost the war and as the king was taken off to Babylon and all of his sons were executed you would have looked at this psalm in great grief and felt like God was breaking all of His promises. And if you lived through a 70-year exile like some of the seniors did and came back with Ezra and you watched the temple be rebuilt, but you looked at a throne that stayed empty, you would have thought, God, I see you doing something, but where is the king? And as they were harassed by the nations that lived around them and they continued to live in weakness, you can read chapters like Ezra 9 or Nehemiah 9 and know that the people consider themselves slaves. They are still under the rule of foreign authorities. There is no king. And so God's promises to David remain unfulfilled. And then the people who have returned and are living in Jerusalem, who are hoping in God, who are seeing the temple be rebuilt began to be confronted by prophets who said, there's no justice in your city. You're not living as the people of God should. You're not putting God first in your lives. And the prophets who come after the temple is rebuilt began to say to the people of God, God is not going to bless you. You're not right with Him. And at the end of the Old Testament, God seems to close the book of Revelation He no longer speaks through prophets. And there is a 400 year silence. 
where people were looking at an empty throne wondering, why is God no longer faithful to His promises? They married, had children, their children grew up, and their children had children. And they lived under the thumb of the Persians, of the Greeks, of the Romans. They lived under the threat of violence. They lived, many of them, in poverty. And they waited and they longed for King Jesus without knowing who He was. And then one day, after 400 years of silence, an angel appeared to a man named Zechariah. I want to encourage you to go with me to the book of Luke. I'm in Luke chapter 1 today. And I want you to feel the grief and the longing and the confusion of a faithful follower of God who understood God's promises, but yet was constantly looking at an empty throne. Who was wondering, when will God keep His promises? It looks like He is not being faithful with the psalmist, with Ethan, whoever he may have been. They cry out, how long? How long? And in Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to Zechariah and promises him that this is the time that God will answer all of those years of prayers, all of those grieving men and women wondering where God is. And the angel announces that his prayers have been heard. Verse 13 of chapter 1 it says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now Zechariah is an old man and his wife is old and he doesn't believe that they can have children and so he, he doubts very much that what the angel says will come to pass. And, and in the rest of this chapter, you find out that the angel says that he's not going to be able to talk to anybody until what he says has come to pass. And so he goes home and he can't even speak to his wife to tell her what's happened. And by the mercy and the grace of God, she conceives and they have a baby. And she rejoices. Says that God has taken away her reproach when he looked on her and allowed them to have a little baby. And that's the background for what Zechariah says in our main text this morning. As this baby is born, the baby that is going to prepare the way for King Jesus to come, that after 400 years of grief and fear and waiting, understanding that God is at work, and it's these verses that it's my prayer will find comfort and encouragement to you if your heart is breaking because the things that you're waiting for have not yet come. If you look into the future and you are full of fear because you do not know what happens, it seems like you lack security, 
These are the verses that I believe will offer you hope and encouragement and comfort, especially at this season when so many people feel the need that they should be rejoicing, but are struggling to rejoice. And Zechariah, after seeing his old wife have a baby, rejoices with this song. And it begins by praising the God who is at work. That that old question of how long, O Lord, how long, is now answered because the wait is over. And Zechariah says this, He was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Verse 68, For He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. He is rejoicing that God is finally at work. See, his wife Elizabeth had seen Mary. They know that she she has a baby. And the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy when Mary entered their home because he knew this is the Messiah. This is the Lord. This is God keeping His promise. And they were family members. They were cousins. Elizabeth would have known that Mary and her fiancé Joseph were in the house and lineage of David. And they believed that God was going to bless their people after a long, long wait with a king who would rescue them. They believe that God is finally at work. That the long years of disappointment and heartache are over and they have hope. And so seeing God at work and praising the God who is at work, they remember some old promises. And I want to read verses 70 through 75 to you. Zechariah is still speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, that as God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, this is what He promised. That we should be saved from our enemies. Now Zechariah is thinking through all of the history. He's thinking of Assyria. He's thinking of Babylon. He's thinking of Persia. He's thinking of the Greeks. He's thinking of the Romans. And he's thinking that this Messiah is going to save them from their enemies and from the hand of all who hate them. Verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Zechariah begins praising the God who is at work because he's seen God work through the miraculous birth of His Son, through the miraculous pregnancy of Mary. And Zechariah believes that God is proving Himself faithful to the promises that He made to Abraham. Remember, way back in Genesis, God tells Abraham that through him, through his family, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And He promises through the prophets 
that God is a God who is full of mercy. And if you read the heartache of the Old Testament, you discover the people of God cannot keep the law. And they begin living with broken hearts, understanding that they are the reason that they are suffering. They can't point to somebody else. They can't point to a broken system. They can't blame a system. The problem of evil runs through their own hearts. And I believe it's true today too. We can talk about political reform all day long. But if God doesn't have mercy on us and heal our hearts, forgive our sins and make us new, the system will never be fixed. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. And so the promises of the Old Testament mix with the broken hearts of God's people and they understand that they need mercy. That they don't deserve the blessings of God. But the good news of the Old Testament is that God is a God who is rich in mercy and that His steadfast love does not fail. And although He disciplined His people, and although He hadn't spoken to them through prophets for 400 years, He remembered His promise to Abraham. And Zechariah believes that God is keeping His promise after hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting and weeping. And so He praises God not only because He is at work, but He remembers all of God's precious promises, and he begins to preach a present hope. See, it's not only that they would be delivered from their enemies, but it's that they would be able to serve God without fear because God extended mercy to them. And look at how he talks about extending this mercy. Now, he's talking specifically to his little baby boy, Even as he's a child, because he understands all that the angel had said to him about what this child would do and what this child would be. And so in verse 76, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. This is the first prophet of God in 400 years. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways. And how is the way prepared for Jesus? Listen, John is going to preach a message to give knowledge of salvation to his people. And what kind of salvation is that? Is it in rebellion? No, it's in the forgiveness of their sins. When their hearts are right, God will rescue them. Verse 78 says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah believes that the hope of the nation is bound up in a message that promises the forgiveness of sins. And he doesn't even know that the Messiah Jesus is going to die on a cross and rise from the dead yet. All he knows is that God is a merciful God and he is promising to forgive the sins of his people. And so John the Baptist goes out and preaches a fiery message of warning saying, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is here. If you're not right with God, the king is going to bring justice and judgment. Repent now while there is still time. 
You can see this message. In fact, I'd invite you to turn there with me to, to the Gospel of John to hear a little bit more about what John the Baptist preached. John chapter 1 describes the ministry of John the Baptist. How he anticipates Christ, how he prepares the way for Christ. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. John chapter 1, starting in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Now pause right there. John is older by at least six months than Jesus. And John is saying, Jesus did not start to exist when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and He was conceived. This is the one who existed from all of eternity, the only Son of God. And John says, verse 31, I myself did not know Him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that He might be revealed to Israel. In other words, if John did not come preaching a message of repentance, and that's what his baptism symbolized... God, I'm sorry for my sins. God, would you cleanse me from my sins? Would you prepare me for your Messiah? If John did not preach this message of repentance, the Messiah would not have come. John prepared the way for the Lord by calling people to know His Word, to understand what was right, to understand what was wrong. There were many things that were deeply unpopular about John's message. The Pharisees actually rejected him as a fraud. But he was faithful to the word of God. There are many things today that people will reject about this book. About what God says is right and what God says is wrong. But if you don't hear the word of the Lord. If you don't respond with obedient repentance and faith. You will not be ready for Messiah Jesus when he comes the second time. Just like John preached a message of repentance baptizing with water so that the Messiah would be ready to be revealed to Israel. We preach a message that you must repent. You must agree with all God says about our sin and be ready because King Jesus, who came the first time and died for our sins and rose from the dead, is coming a second time. You can't pick and choose parts of this message and say, I agree with some of these teachings, I like some of what he says, and throw out the rest because he's not just another teacher. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the King who will rule and reign in power. When you look Him in the eye one day, you're not going to have the ability to say, you know, I think you're wrong about a couple things. And so I preach a message to you very much like what John preached. Repent. Be ready to meet King Jesus face to face. You can see in the book of Acts, after Jesus rises from the dead, He's died for our sins, He's risen from the dead, He's told His disciples, you need to proclaim the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins all over the world. And that's exactly what you do. You see in the book of Acts chapter 3, that Peter now has a similar function to what John the Baptist did in preparing the way for the Lord. And he preaches a message again of repentance for the forgiveness of the sins. But this time it's clear how our sins are forgiven. That because Christ died for our sins on a cross and rose from the dead, that the debt has been paid and we can be cleansed and made clean through His blood. That we can be given the life that He offers us. 
And Peter says in Acts chapter 3, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that as Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. You see, if people don't respond to this message, the long wait for the return of Christ is going to continue. Until the Gospel has been preached all over the world, until the church that Jesus died to redeem is full, Jesus is not coming back, and so we preach to prepare the way for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we preach this kind of message at Christmas time, I began with a text in Luke. It's a Christmas text. It's celebrating that God came into the world, that God began to fulfill His promises. Today, we can look at what God is presently doing. And I say this now in this weird season where so much is frustrating and so much is sad because I want to encourage you and give you hope. I want you like Zechariah to recognize that God is presently at work that you can remember His old promises so that no matter how long you have been waiting for whatever it is you're waiting for, you are ready to meet King Jesus. And in His presence, there will be fullness of joy and you will never weep again. It's my prayer that you will be ready. And to begin with, I want to help you recognize that King Jesus is presently at work now. How? Well, one way He's at work is He is drawing people to Himself. People are being saved. People are believing the Gospel and the church is being built up. Not only are people being saved as they hear the Gospel, and if you've not yet been saved, I would invite you to believe and be baptized. Recognize that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that He died for your sins and rose from the dead. But not only is that message being preached and that invitation being given and people are responding to it and being saved, He's building and purifying the church through the Word of God. He is washing her so that when He returns, she is His pure and spotless bride. You know, a lot of people complain that the church is full of hypocrites, and they're not wrong. It's true. But when Jesus returns, no one will be able to criticize His bride. Right now, Jesus is presently at work purifying His bride, getting her ready for the day of His return. And not only is He at work doing that, and maybe you feel that as you hear the Word of God preached and your own heart is challenged to repent of your sins, to be faithful in going about the work of the ministry as the church spreads the good news of Jesus. Not only that, if you are a believer, He is personally making you holy. Through all of your disappointments, through all of your triumphs and joys, He is at work getting you personally ready to see Him face to face. Not only is He purifying you and making you more and more holy, He is preparing a place for you in eternity. And at just the right time, Jesus will return and God will wipe every tear and there will be no more sorrow and there will be no more pain. And so I want to ask you, are you ready for that day? Are there sins in your heart that you need to repent of? 
Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved? You know, I don't know if you're watching online, if you're here, I don't really care. I want to ask you, are you ready to meet the Lord face to face? Have you responded to this message? And if you haven't, would you pray now and ask the Lord to forgive your sins? And would you commit to following in obedience to be baptized? If you'd like to be baptized, I'd ask contact me today. If you're watching online, you can contact us through our website. If you've got my number, you can send me a text and say, Phil, I'm, I'm ready. I'm done ignoring Jesus and putting Him off. I'm going to obey Him and be baptized and trust in Him. And believer, if you've already come to the Lord to be saved, I want to address the season that we're in and say it is okay to grieve this Christmas because the world is still broken and we still face disappointments and we still sing songs that are full of longing like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and come thou long-expected Jesus because we still need King Jesus and He hasn't come back in power yet. And so I want to encourage you, if you feel a longing and you feel a disappointment, don't feel like you have to grab some sleigh bells and sing jingle bells to get into the Christmas spirit. You know, there's a place for that. I want to celebrate and have joy with my kids. But there's also a place to mourn and to weep for the things that are broken and lost and for the longings that are not fulfilled. But hear this. If you are a Christian, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it leaves room for grief and yet it offers a precious and incredible present hope. And so Christian, I want to remind you of where your hope is at. Celebrate this Christmas that Jesus has been born. And not only has He been born, but that He's died and been raised to new life. And He has promised that He is coming for you. And so yes, grieve and sing songs of longing, but do it with hope. That the God who fulfilled His promises that led to Zechariah's rejoicing and celebration is the God who will fulfill His promise. You might say, it's been 2,000 years. You know what? It had been over 400 years when Zechariah was singing his song. And it had maybe been as much as 1,000 from the verse that we read in Psalm 89. God is not slow in keeping His promise, but He's patient with you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I would urge you, repent and be ready. Grieve and rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your steadfast love and faithfulness for your mercy. God, I pray for those who are repenting of sins right now, that they would feel your mercy and your love and your forgiveness. I pray that You would grant us the strength to walk in obedience. That we would know not only the tender mercy that leads us to forgiveness, but we would know the power that enables us to walk in newness of life. And Father, I pray that in this dark season of Christmas, that we'd be able to spread a light of hope. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.